Good morning, Dr. Foyer, Christina Bauer with the Texas Lyme Alliance. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing okay. So it's nice to see you again. Thank you. Happy spring. It's Easter weekend here for our audience. So happy Easter and happy spring to everyone out there. I wanted to interview Dr. Foyer today about his experience in treating Lyme disease and co-infections. And um, I wanted to just simply get his perspective on new therapies and how he's having success in treating his patients with Lyme. So a little bit about Dr. Foyer. Since 2019, he has limited his practice to the evaluation, I'll edit that. Since 2019, he has limited his practice to the evaluation and treatment of tick-borne illnesses and conditions frequently associated with tick-borne illness. He sees patients in person and via telemedicine from all over. His practice style is collaborative. The final decision for which treatment is taken is made by the patient after a thorough review of risks, benefits, and options. He's attended four ILADS annual scientific conferences, and in 2017, he also took the basic Lyme treatment course on day one of ILADS and passed the exam. He has uh, preceptored with Dr. Ronald Wilson, a Texas favorite, whose tick-borne illness practice he took over upon his retirement in May of 2019. Dr. Wilson continues to mentor him, and him and his wife were both patients of Dr. Wilson. He also preceptored with Dr. Richard Horwitz for a week in February 2019 and attended his three-day intensive course on treatment of tick-borne illness in June of 2019. His son, Tanner, is a patient of Dr. Horwitz as well. As a consequence of his own experience with Drs. Wilson and Horowitz, he tends to lean toward Dr. Horwitz's multiple systemic infectious disease approach to evaluation and treatment of tick-borne illness. However, he is experienced prescribing herbal modalities as well as both novel persister drugs, disulfiram and dapsone. So he is a very good successful um, physician in treating in um, integrative therapies. So we are so pleased that you decided to join us today, Dr. Foyer, and uh, let's get to the questions. Awesome. So we had spoke quite a bit over the last um, probably year that we've gotten to know each other. Um, we're both residing in Texas, and so we do quite a bit of collaboration uh, for patients and offering resources uh, to help get them well. But I wanted to start off with asking you a little bit uh, about your own personal journey with you and your family and struggling with tick-borne illness. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got sick with Lyme and co-infections? Sure. Um, I really don't know how I got sick with Lyme and co-infections. Um, my wife became ill um, two years after we got married. We were married in 1997. Um, and, you know, being married to a physician, I was an OBGYN at the time. Um, I went about taking her to doctors and doing tests and trying to figure out what was wrong. And um, um, having had uh, no um, experience or training with uh, tick-borne illness at that time, because I went to a 
top-notch medical school in Houston, Baylor College of Medicine. I didn't have five minutes worth of training in uh, tick-borne illness, um, assuming that's because there was no Lyme in Texas. Um, so I eventually, you know, ran out of tests to do for the third time on my wife, and she got progressively sicker, and I, I decided that um, she probably had chronic fatigue. And uh, my administrator at my practice thought her had chronic fatigue syndrome and was seeing a physician in, in Houston. So we went to see that physician with our giant pile of tests. Um, and she looked it over and, and, you know, he diagnosed her with Lyme disease. And so that began uh, my journey with Lyme disease in in sense of uh, being on the radar. Um, okay. So while I am unaware of ever having a tick bite or a rash, um, I do have extensive uh, exposure uh, to ticks. Uh, I grew up, uh, I was born and raised uh, on Long Island in New York, which mm -hmm. is uh, basically <laughs> ground zero for uh, tick-borne illness. Right. Um, in addition, um, far back as I can remember, uh, we went to New Hampshire every summer for about a month. Um, because uh, my dad, who was a CPA, he had a client who owned a summer camp, uh, which I attended a couple of, for about two years. But we always spent a lot of time up there, um, and it was it was a summer camp. We were outside all day in heavily wooded areas high grass, all the things you worry about for a tick-borne illness. Um, uh, furthermore, I, I recall having symptoms that I now know were probably Lyme disease related, such as fatigue, brain fog, anxiety, um, as far back as my early teens. Mm -hmm. um, so, my wife ended up being treated by Ronald Wilson. And at our first visit, about halfway through the first visit, my wife just turned to me, looked me in the eyes and said, Randy, you need to get treated. I mean, tested. You yep. need to get tested. Um, and I was like, why? Because <laughs> being male, I was seriously in denial at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so she said, well, you're very symptomatic. I said, well, what symptoms do you think I have? She says, you're terrible fatigue. And I was like, oh, I'm an OBJ and I stay up all night. She goes, no, it's worse than that. So I went ahead and had a panel of testing at suggestion and a CD57. CD57 was 60 low. And um, my, at IGENX, I had a positive DNA test uh, so kind of hard to argue with DNA. So that started my treatment journey. Dr. Wilson treated me for four, four three years um, with rotating anti oral antibiotics at that time. I did not test positive and he did not feel that I had any coenzyme at the time. So it was a straight fairly straightforward Lyme disease diagnosis and treatment. 
Um, and by sometime in 2017, I was declared in remission. Most of my symptoms were gone. I was feeling pretty well. Um, Dr. Wilson, around that time, let me know he was planning to retire and did I want to take over his practice. And LVGIN career was winding up due to my back injury. I, I jumped at that opportunity to, to pay forward uh, the favor he did for us. Um, and so part, so, so uh, I'm sorry. So part of my, my training was I spent some time with Dr. Horowitz yeah. in, uh, in February of 2019. And um, actually, um, because my son has congenital Lyme and was very difficult to treat, uh, I spent much of that time nagging him to take my son on as a patient, although he wasn't seeing new patients at the time. On the last day I was up there, I pushed him a little bit and he said he would do it. Uh, that we should make Excellent. Him. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. And so I thanked him and told him I'd see him when I put my son back. And he said, no, we need to talk. I've been watching you for a week and you're clearly relapsing for Lyme disease. And, um, and he was right. I again, a word search and um, brain fog and stuff like that. So um, he suggested that uh, because he was training me um, using Dapsone for Lyme, that I should make up my own Dapsone protocol. The best way to learn how to treat was to um, treat myself. And, and so I did. I made up a kind of a long, longer than necessary protocol, showed it to him. He said, fine, do it. Um, and um, was treated with uh, Dapsone and three other antibiotics and supplements and things like that for several months. And then um, um, he told me it would be a month or two after I finished treatment before I really felt well. But about two weeks after I finished treatment, I woke up one morning, I had no symptoms at all. That's and um, I stayed that way um, for about a little over 14 months. Um, and so last, the fall of 20, um, I started feeling bad again. Um, and it didn't seem exactly like, like just straightforward Lyme disease. Um, it wasn't COVID, I tested for that. Um, and then, uh, so I did a full panel test at um, IGNX in, in January of this year. And for the first time ever, uh, I tested positive for Bonello, which turns out I got from my, uh, from a cat. One of my, my daughter um, is a kind of a rescue mom. She's always bringing home strays. And so um, one of the three indoor outdoor cats we had was particularly affectionate and used to sleep and touch me a few times. And um, turns out that's where I got working on. And so I've been treated, treating for the third time. Um, um, 
my wife uh, and son, um, you know, both have Lyme and Bartonella. Um, and my son is, he's congenital, so he's particularly difficult uh, to treat. Um, and so he, he has a lot of um, medication refusal and things like that. Right. Uh, having issues. My wife uh, pretty much stopped treatment uh, in order to take care of him. And so that's where we are. Very common, very common. I spoke with your wife about that, encouraged her to take care of herself as well, because obviously as a mom with four congenital Lyme kids myself, it's real easy to get caught up in putting your kids first and you can't be effective for your kids if you're feeling crummy and can't think. Um, so, uh, hope well, thanks for that. Cause you know, she yeah. didn't listen to me much. Well, <laughs> she's super awesome. I love your wife and, um, your family. And, uh, that's kind of what we do over here at Texas Lyme Alliance is provide resource and support. So, um, it's a self-inflicted job, encouraging people to take care of themselves and one that I have to listen to and remind myself of daily. So um, you covered a lot of ground there and that's really great. Um, can you tell me with some of what treatments you are treating or have treated yourself with Lyme disease and Bartonella and um Technically, it sounds like since you're a physician and you're well-trained with this kind of stuff at this point, you're underneath the care of Dr. Horowitz as a patient. Is that how that works, technically speaking, with you being a physician? Well, technically. Um, I, I, I wanted I've, to point that out. <laughs> I've had his advice on, on, what, on how to treat him. Yeah. So what have you treated yourself with uh, under his care? Dapsone, disulfiram, uh, rifabutin? Yeah, so um, starting in 20, you know, 2019, he, he suggested I do the full uh, Dapsone protocol as, as it stood at that time, uh, uh, according to his you know, publication in February of 2019. And what right. that included was uh, Dapsone um, for um, a period of time, starting at a low dose, 25 milligrams, and gradually titrating up to uh, to 200 milligrams, um, which was suggestion, even though his publication topped out at 100 milligrams. He, he felt like 200 would be better. So uh, I, I finished up with 200 milligrams of Dapsone for an eight week period of time. Um, in addition, uh, he uses um, uh, three other antibiotics, uh, not always the same three, but most commonly Rodfampin, doxycycline, and and that's what I do. Uh, it also has some side effects. It can make you anemic uh, because it's an antifolate drug and um, it can at higher doses can cause um, an inactivation of some of your hemoglobin, that's called methemoglobinemia. Um, and so, you know, we took the supplements to, for those side effects. Um, plus, it, it's a Herxheimer 
uh, inducing drug. Um, and so we use uh, to manage cytokines and reactions. That included electron alkali folic acid, and osteol erythrol. Um, um, your microphone cuts out every once in a while. What was uh, the word you said before, resveratrol? Um, and acetyl L-cysteine? Yes. And is it N-acetylcysteine? Is that? Uh, and acetyl, yes. Yes, I say it so, differently, so, so I was not hearing it right. Yes, thank I you. I understand. Most of us call that NAT. Yes, exactly. Because it's easier. Uh, and yeah. in fact, you know, that's what it says on the bottles. Um, Thanks. And then um, also to decrease cytokines, we use anti-inflammatories such as uh, curcumin and low-dose naltrexone. Good. And yes. so I, love that. Um, I took all of that. Um, and, you know, I tolerate it pretty well. Um, I have pretty pretty much an iron stomach, so I got, I got away with taking uh, all that high-dose antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, pretty well. So, um, um, and then, uh, like I said, uh, as I said, uh, two weeks after I finished it, I had no symptoms whatsoever. Everything was back. Um, I was, I would, would wake up feeling rested. I had no joint pain. I'm sorry. One second, buddy. That's not okay. Okay. Sorry about that. We'll edit that part out. Yeah. Okay. Can you um, go back to, I was starting to feel pretty good. Right. So uh, actually that two weeks after um, I finished the protocol, I woke up and uh, I didn't just feel good. I felt better than I had since I was 20. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I was impressed. It, um, That's great. I woke, I woke up feeling rested every day. My, my, Brain was sharp. I could do math in my head. Remember what fish stood for in the fish test. Um, and um, so it, it was quite good. Um, my CD57 went up to about to above 150. I mean, a lot of things that towards it being a good remission. Wow. Um, yeah. It's really high. That's great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that's excellent news. Um, okay, so what success stories can you share besides that of you and your family's healing that covers, uh, boy, that CD57 really sums it up for us. Um, I know insurance companies uh, say it's experimental, but boy, I've watched mine uh, for eight and a half years fluctuate with treatment, and um, I think it's pretty remarkable to follow. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add in regard to um, healing journey from your kiddo and your wife at all? Well, my, my son, um, he got diagnosed when my wife got diagnosed. And we just sort of looked at each other and went, oh, that's what's wrong with Tanner. You know, he has congenital Lyme. Because my wife was certainly ill during and immediately after pregnancy. And um, we didn't know from what. He was, yeah. was seven when my wife was diagnosed. And so it was uh, suddenly obvious. Um, and um, at that time, 
uh, that he's 14 now, so that was 2014. Um, we couldn't find anyone who would treat uh, children in Texas. Um, and in fact, um, you know, we, we tried to get appointments with some of the more famous pediatric line docs, like Dr. Corson and Dr. Drew, and uh, they, they were booked for like, long waiting times and things like that. But um, so we ended up going to Washington, D.C., my son, at the Jemsek Specialty Clinic. Um, and Dr. Jemsek is not a pediatrician, but he had a, an excellent pediatric nurse practitioner. And, um, and my son was actually uh, pretty compliant at that time. And we got very close to remission after about two years. Um, and um, when we had a major setback, and um, we um, uh, needed to do some repeat educational testing because we were looking for a better school for him. And um, he came up with a, a substantial decrease in IQ on the testing, which at the time nobody could seem to figure out. Um, and um, the, the nurse practitioner checked with some non literate um, psychology, psychologists and came up with the idea maybe we should decrease my son's uh, psychiatric meds. So we did. And unfortunately, uh, that resulted in quite a regression. And we just never seemed to caught up, catch up after then. We became pretty non-compliant and all. Um, so that unfortunately is not a success story with my son. Um, and we subsequently, you know, uh, got a diagnosis of PANS, which explained the IQ testing. Um, and we're working on on uh, things on that. Good. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Best of luck with that. And this is, you know, as, as our audience probably well knows if they're watching this video, congenital Lyme is uh, a real problem and it can become a generational illness. Um, I passed it on to all four of my kiddos and Lyme disease is a cousin of syphilis and uh, everyone knows that that is a persistent infection and can be passed on and mother to fetus um, transmission as well. The CDC also hosts that now on their website, admitting that it can happen mm -hmm. in Lyme disease. So um, I just wanted to mention those facts for our audience that it does happen and something to look out for. And God bless Dr. Wilson. He did you the same justice that he did my family. And as soon as I started treating, uh, I very quickly learned that he wanted my kiddos to be tested as well. And mm -hmm. um, yes, we have one positive and three indeterminate, which is you well know as an OB-GYN, it's like being halfway pregnant. It's not possible. Right. So sure. um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a challenge. Yeah. So I mean, congenital Lyme is a um, different disease basically than getting a tick bite and a rash. Um, it's clearly been documented that you can pass um, Lyme disease from mother to fetus. Uh, they've recovered um, positive DNA tests of cord, um, umbilical cord blood, at delivery, and cultured uh, not only Lyme, but also Bordeaux and Babesia from placental uh, samples. 
So there's no question about it. But what the because these kids are born uh, with elevated information from these tick-borne illnesses, um, that they're prone to multiple other inflammatory-based diagnoses as autism spectrum diagnosis uh, disorder, AD, uh, ADHD, pans and pandas, uh, with POTS or uh, and sometimes also uh, EDS, which is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah. Um, and um, I've seen congenital kids with mast cell activation syndrome and uh, a couple with uh, chronic regional pain disorder. Um, uh, all of which you would think is related to the information picture. Um, in, in moms who already carry a diagnosis of Lyme or co-infections, um, we usually can uh, treat them during pregnancy with fetus-friendly antibiotics, which, you know, I was an OB-GYN for 35 years, so I know what to prescribe on that. And um, um, both my experience and uh, Dr. Harwitz's experience is that the um, vast majority of patients who are treated that way, the, the, uh, the babies are healthy. So, um, yeah. Fortunately, it's uh, been difficult to diagnose uh, tick-borne illness, you know, prior to, prior to having pregnancy. So, um, we still see Yes, and I want to point out for the audience that Igenics has a kit for pregnancy that people can order ahead of time, and that's recommended to get a hold of them before you go into labor uh, so that you can get the kit shipped to you and prepare the kit and speak with your physician, your delivering physician. And um, do you have anything that you'd like to add as far as preparing for? childbirth to avoid congenital Lyme in a mother who has been diagnosed and treated for Lyme disease during pregnancy? Well, during pregnancy, we, you know, would prescribe antibiotics that were safe. In general, it's going to be like azithromycin and acetylcholine. And um, I recommend to my patients they take um, the antibiotics all the way through breastfeeding. Uh, although most likely cannot transmit um, Lyme disease by breastfeeding since most people cannot get Lyme disease early. Um, um, but still, I think, you know, it would be prudent. So, yes. Like that. I usually, uh, I usually consult the patient's obstetrician uh, directly and uh, explain what's going on and what um, we'd like them to do at deliver and, and how we get that set up. And most opticians are very receptive to do That's great, that's great. Okay, um, so moving on to some questions about your practice. Um, so our interview today is to talk about your own personal journey with Lyme disease and co-infections with you and your family. So thank you for all of that great information on a personal level. But as far as patients who might be 
needing a physician trained in Lyme disease, especially in Texas. As you well know, they're few and far to come by, but what would you say to future patients about your practice and how you treat multisystemic infections? We've touched on some of it and how you've treated yourself, but what's that look like for future patients? Sure, so I'm, um, I'm very collaborative with my patients. I, I strongly believe that um, if you're a patient for any disease that you need to um, be fully on board with the plan uh, because um, it's really your responsibility to decide what goes in your body. And, and just so to that end, although I tend to lean towards the uh, multiple systemic disease model, Mm-hmm. Um, of Dr. Horowitz, uh, which um, generally involves antibiotic therapy uh, along with uh, supplemental and sometimes herbals and things like that. Um, I'm not married to that. Um, I've treated patients with pure herbal therapies. Um, I've Use combinations where I've used herbal therapies to sub, to substitute for one or two antibiotics because patients may not tolerate the full antibiotic protocol. Um, and I've um, treated a substantial number of people with uh, Aptone protocol, um, 150 patients in the last two years. And I've also, I also utilize uh, disulfiram. Um, and I had uh, 125. Um, I can't hear you. About 100, I've treated about 125 patients with disulfiram. Okay. Um, and, um, and so there's a, a wide selection of places for my patients. That's um, right. In addition, um, I'm supportive of um, so-called alternative or holistic modalities, uh, even if I don't um, um, prescribe those in my office directly. And so I've had patients that I've um, been happy to recommend uh, things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, I've had several patients do hypothermia treatments, um, stem cells, uh, ozone treatments. Um, um, I'm a fairly big believer in intravenous uh, glutathione for my patients who have access um, for an intravenous. Um, also, you know, intravenous vitamin C or myroscopials. I have patients who use Rife machines. Um, I'm strongly strong supporter for um, bar infrared sauna treatment, which works particularly well um, for Lyme, but also for um, my patients with Mogellan syndrome. And I have treated at least a dozen patients with Mogellans. Um, and such things as uh, um, dynamic neural retraining system as um, any hoppers. Yeah. Uh, which works particularly well for patients with multiple chemical sensitivities, uh, severe anxieties, uh, electromagnetic sensitivities, and 
Enterprise actually has about 15 different diagnoses that it works for. I've done this myself for the anxiety. That's actually after, um, after I contracted Wagnella. Um, and I find it effective. Um, I saw a good lecture at the last ILADS uh, called It Ain't Just One Thing. Yeah. Um, and um, and there are really, it's really what they call a septad of seven different diagnoses that are extremely common in Lyme patients. And so you have, uh, I have to be able to treat patients for, for all those, or at least be able to have good referral sources. And so that's, you know, not just Lyme, Bartonella and Babesia, but also POTS, which is a uh, um, vagus nerve dysfunction that can cause a severe fatigue, dizziness, people can pass out. Um, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and, and there's an associated condition called craniocervical junction disorder that can cause uh, injury to your spinal cord at where your neck meets your, your skull, vessel um, activation syndrome, uh, and pans and pandas. Um, those are all very common. Yeah. Um, and I have experience treating most of those. Um, I'm not proficient at treating Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or craniocervical uh, junction, but I have excellent referral sources for those people. Um, Great. Um, I also uh, screen my patients for mold mycotoxins. That was my next question. Thanks yeah. for saying that. Right. Yeah, keep talking. Heavy, You're doing great. All right, heavy metal. <laughs> um, I have um, protocols uh, for parasite uh, treatments, um, which um, Dr. Horowitz was kind enough to share with me. Um, and um, so, I mean, there's quite a variety of things that we have to treat when we're taking care of patients with tick-borne illness. Yeah, that's quite a lot. That's um, excellent. I think you just covered the rest of our entire interview right there. That's so important to, to talk about. So um, one thing that I wanted to touch on before I ask you a few other questions, um, what does detoxing look like for you? I don't think we really talked about that before the interview and preparing our questions, but you did mention some of these things um, as far as... Um, infrared sauna, things like right. that, binders. Do you use binders? What's that look like when you start talking about die off and how people can maximize their healing through detoxing some of these toxins and maximizing their um, methylation, things like that? Yeah, so it's important um, to, to deal with the cytokine um, production that you can get not just from tick-borne illness, but certainly when you're herxing, that cytokine production causes it. There's two kinds of cytokines. There's ones that cause inflammation and ones that decrease inflammation. And so the goal is to try to um, influence your immune system to make more of the anti-inflammatory cytokines and fewer of the inflammatory cytokines, so you'll feel better uh, because um, 
it can irk not just your antibiotic treatment, but certainly from herbals. Um, yeah. And um, you even can get Herxheimer reactions from binders and mold uh, treatment. Um, and so it needs to be addressed. And that's what we do uh, right off the bat. Um, and, you know, there's probably, um, there's probably dozens of different things you can use. But I have a basic protocol um, that starts out with liposomal glutathione, ALA, NAC, resveratrol, curcumin, and low-dose naltrexone. Um, I also recommend either hot Epsom salt baths um, to, to draw out toxins and to decrease cytokine production. Our infrared saunas are great. Not everybody can afford a far infrared sauna in your home, uh, although you can get like a zip-up version of one from Amazon for about $200. Uh, but also multiple um, places have far infrared saunas that you can uh, subscribe to for a reasonable amount per month and you can use it, you know, three to five times a week. And those are places like uh, freestanding massage, like massage envy. I don't, I don't get any massage envy for recommending. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, but some gyms and things like that. But I, I also wanted to note that um, I've bought several saunas off of Facebook Marketplace or eBay or things like that. And you just want to make sure if you do find a used one that you use peroxide or something clean to disinfect. Um, it sounds pretty gross, but um, they've been very effective for my family and these um, low EMF is really important that I'm sure you're familiar with recommending something that's low EMF. Um, but a lot of these places may market them, their saunas to be low EMF, but um, finding reviews from patients that have used them is really important. I'm not going to mention those that um, do false advertising, but um, I have had personal experience with that. So that's why I mention it. It is important. Um, you don't want to be detoxing and then causing yourself more, more trouble down the road with other things. So, um, okay. So that's really great. Um, we talked a little bit about your testing that you utilize to help patients heal along their journey. Um, what else would you like to mention to potential future patients on the type of testing that you utilize as far as um, you've mentioned some of the traditional ones like Igenics or DNA Connections or Galaxy, but what about um, some of the other more holistic or integrative types of testing that we've talked about that you can mention while we're filming here? Sure. So, I mean, um, well, I don't produce those tests in my office. I don't train, I don't have the equipment to do that. Um, I am certainly um, comfortable uh, if a patient does muscle testing. Um, there's a variety of other modalities you can use. Um, so uh, my tick-borne illness is predominantly a clinical diagnosis. That means um, a good history and uh, sometimes physical findings. Um, uh, exposure risk, things like that, uh, plus a symptom uh, diary can frequently 
unequivocally uh, make diagnoses for Lyme and, and some co-infection. Um, okay. Traditional labs um, in general don't do a great job on, uh, on Lyme testing. Um, yeah. Or some of the co-infections. Some of the co-infections they do okay. Yeah. Uh, like the Ehrlichia and Anaplasma they do pretty well. There are false positives and false negatives. Okay. Well, they don't do very well on Lyme testing, Bartonella or Babesia. And predominantly that's uh, because they don't test enough different species. So for instance, there's 26 species of Bartonella um, and Commercial labs tend to test for one or two. Right. Um, it's pretty easy to miss. Um, and uh, doing a, a Western blot or an immunoblot on a commercial lab suffers from the um, changes to um, that kind of testing that CDC um, made after the uh, failed um, vaccine trial in the 90s and uh, yeah. just quickly, that vaccine was uh, done using antigens from, um, from Lyme disease bacteria that are the most common ones and they're numbered, they call them bands, bands 31 and, and 34. Um, and so CDC recommended not using those bands uh, going forward, uh, which makes it harder to get a positive test uh, because they were the most common ones. Right. And so, um, especially labs started popping up that do a better job on, on not just Lyme testing, but certainly Lyme testing where they put back the two bands um, and treat multiple species of uh, Borrelia, um, treat not test multiple species of Borrelia. Um, and so, Labs such as IgenX do a much better job on immunobots. Um, Great. Uh, in terms of co-infection testing, um, uh, Galaxy does a, a very good job on Bartonella testing. They're, um, they have a gold standard test. That's a uh, triple draw PCR or DNA test done with three different uh, blood draws on different days. And that makes it a lot more sensitive, much less likely to have false negatives. Um, um, and so those are some examples. Uh, IGNX uh, has a fish test, which is an RNA test, similar to uh, tests that were done for COVID or done for HIV that are highly uh, specific with very few false positives and fairly sensitive with uh, fewer uh, false negatives. That test is done on the genus level, meaning Bartonella, not Bartonella insulae, for instance, which is species. And so covers all the different Bartonellas. Um, um, and it covers both the species. But there's some newer tests out there. Um, Red Labs, um, and, which is actually in Belgium, has a test called uh, the Fage Felix Borrelia test for Lyme disease. Yeah. 
Um, they use, uh, they take advantage of the existence of something called bacteriophages. Bacteriophages are basically naked DNA without the cell. Okay. So it's the same DNA um, that would be Borrelia burgdorferi's DNA um, and other species of Borrelia, including um, uh, tick-borne relapse and fever Borrelias like Miyamotoi. And they, uh, so what a bacteriophage is, is like a virus that infects bacteria. And in this case, each kind of bacteria, say Borrelia, in this case, Borrelia burgdorferi, will have a population of viruses in your bloodstream that have the same DNA as, as Borrelia, as Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And for every bacteria uh, in your, uh, there's about 10,000 uh, bacteriophages. And so um, you're 10,000 times more likely to get a positive test on, uh, on this particular, using bacteriophages. So it's a pretty sophisticated test. Um, Galaxy has a test called Lyme Nanotrap. They use a, a um, technology to um, um, isolate um, from, from your sample, urine sample, to isolate the um, one of the bands, an oxygen band of, um, of antigens that are specific to uh, Lyme disease. And so you're, it's a better test for getting uh, a positive test um, for Lyme doing that. And there's a new test uh, from a lab called T-Labs, uh, okay. which is, which is um, for which the medical director is Dr. Robert Rosiani, who's the, oh, yeah. uh, who's the president of iLabs, recent past president of iLabs, and a recognized expert in Bartonella. Um, Excellent. And so this test uses something called a confocal laser microscope. It's just a very high power microscope. They can actually see the uh, Bartonella um, peripheral blood smear. And they, uh, and they can also um, look at presence of biofilms. So, presence uh, of what? I'm sorry. Of biofilms. Oh, bioblastrin. The they can great. actually see that. So, um, there's a lot of new tests on the market. Um, but um, generally, you have to use a specialty lab to get yeah. a good result. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, can you touch a little bit on how you test for heavy metals? Sure. So um, heavy metals um, tend to, um, to accumulate in your body over time. And we mostly worry about uh, mercury and lead. Um, and so um, a lot of the heavy metals will be stored in fatty tissues, like organ tissues. Um, also, get, also find heavy metals in the blood. If you have acute poisoning with heavy metals, you can find them in air. Um, the problem with doing um, heavy metal tests on, on um, urine tests that are provoked with uh, chelators 
is that you can, if you give enough chelators, you can get a positive test for lead and mercury because it's much of it around. Um, the state boards frown upon using chelators because they think it makes for an um, unreliable result. It falls positive. So that you can have heavy metals in your system doesn't mean you're poisoning. And so I, um, I respect that and, and I won't use chelators to do testing. And so a good alternative is use hair mm -hmm. um, because uh, it gets more of a current um, level of heavy metals in your body on hair testing. I use hair testing for that. Okay. Um, however, treatment with heavy metals uh, generally includes uh, oral chelating agents. And so that's a safe way to do it. And um, no one has a problem. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Okay, that that sounds like a nice conservative approach, which I love as a mom. Uh, what about parasites? How do you test and treat parasites? Yeah, so parasite testing is difficult. Um, however, a parasite, uh, intestinal parasites are pretty common in Lyme patients. Ticks carry some of these parasites. Right. And um, so many Lyme patients would benefit from treatment. And so when, uh, when it's appropriate to do treatment, um, we use, um, well, I have two different protocols from Dr. Parr, which is kind enough to let me use. Uh, one is a seven-day treatment protocol. It uses four different drugs. And one another one is a uh, more extended treatment protocol that takes about two months. Um, for most patients, the seven-day protocol works pretty well. Sometimes I generally will, uh, if the desires it or recommend it, um, early in treatment and then um, usually makes sense to that towards the end. That's really smart. I like hearing that uh, you do that because I have found through treating I guess now eight and a half years, there's five of us in my house with this stuff, that parasites tend to hold some of these pathogens. And as we are treating, it seems as though when you go to treat parasites, you get a rebound of more infections because it seems as though they're harboring some of these pathogens. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you find that with your patients, that it can cause them to not heal all the way. And then if you do parasite treatment, they're bursting open to well, reinfect them with some of these illnesses that they previously had seen close to remission or remission mm -hmm. with. Well, I, I don't think that failing to treat parasites would prevent someone from getting your But certainly I think it may play a role in relapse. And so um, I think it does make sense um, to treat um, parasites during treatment as opposed to, say, after treatment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to see if I was on track with that. Um, it's typically what I see in our 
support groups and what I've read, but wanted to hear what you had to say about that. Um, so mold, what's your treatment look like for mold? I have seen and interviewed so many doctors, including Dr. Cowden and so forth. They all say it's a really big deal for Lyme patients who are immunosuppressed by this Borrelia and you can't run from mold. We've remediated in my house seven times. Um, oh my, I, my body cannot tolerate mold at all. Um, so what do you think? Um, and to be honest, it's pretty common in the support groups that people have a residual um, home infection, if you will, or um, recurrence of mold. Mm -hmm. What do you do for people maybe like my family who has a continual um, recurrence of mold. A lot of other people might live in more humid climates where it might be more common. Us in Texas, we tend to have a fair amount of humidity. It's not as dry as a lot of people think. What do you think about? Yeah. Well, certainly not down here in Houston. It's not. Um, so um, I I test and treat for mold on most patients, uh, um, especially patients who have had water damage in their homes. Um, uh, I use testing, uh, urine testing with uh, usually glutathione provocation to, because mold mycotoxins are fat soluble and um, you have to get them, and the tests are done on urine, so you have to make them water soluble and Glutathione is your major antioxidant. That's what it does. And so, um, um, especially patients who have had water damage in their homes, uh, I test. Uh, when we find mycotoxins, even um, one mycotoxin is too much, and it definitely causes inflammation in your system. Uh, if the patient is sensitized to mold, has antibodies against mold, um, then they will get sicker um, when, when they have my mold mycotoxins in their system. Um, I use a treatment protocol from uh, Dr. Neil Nathan, uh, which is more or less based on, on, on Dr. And so we treat- uh, Dr. Who, I'm Dr. sorry. Dr. Shoemaker, Richard Shoemaker. Okay, that's what I was wondering, okay. yeah. yeah. And so, um, that involves um, treating um, both the sinuses and the gut. That's Those are right. the two places where mold spores will set up shop. Mold spores absolutely make uh, biofilms. And so we use biofilm busters, uh, predominantly EDTA as a nasal spray, or yep. it's also found in a supplement called Interface Plus. Um, that is for the gut. It's an oral supplement. And we use antifungal treatment. Um, we can use Epiteric B. Uh, that's what Dr. Nathan recommends a lot. Which one oh, was that? I'm sorry. Amphotericin B. Okay. Uh, the advantage of Amphotericin B is that it's not absorbed from your sinuses or your gut. Okay. And so, um, very few side effects in that respect. Um, disadvantages, it's pretty expensive. Um, there is a product called BEG spray. Yeah. Uh, Bastracin, EDTA, and genomycin. 
that has a, is a good antifungal and already has the biofilm buster in it. And so that works, uh, you can just use one spray um, for both, uh, for sinuses. Um, and then for the gut, we would use the Interface Plus and, um, and, the, and an antifungal. Uh, in addition, um, we use binders to um, bind the mycotoxins. Okay. And the way a binder works is it um, it will take the toxins out of your oil, um, and um, it will hold on to the toxin when the bile gets reabsorbed back to your liver. And then the toxin will be excreted in the stool. Um, uh, and of course, the, the sinus from the spray uh, in your urine. Um, that sounds effective. Really it's effective. It takes a, a long time. Um, we can follow the uh, treatment with repeat mycotoxin tests. Okay. Um, once you, uh, a lot of times I'll do this testing early with a new patient and, who's not on treatment and is not doing detox. And um, later when we would do a repeat test, the toxin levels will go up dramatically. And that's not because they're not getting better, but it's because they're doing a much better job of detoxing and they're getting rid of the toxins. Yeah. So um, I found that it, doesn't make sense to retest early, and it's relatively expensive test. So I usually don't retest for about nine months. Um, and most patients are, are clear um, in nine to twelve months. I wondered however, that. However, yeah. however, if you continue to live in a moldy environment, it's not going to get better. And so, you know, testing and remediating is is advisable. Um, what works better is, if you can, is to move into new construction. Um, and like, uh, you know, so I have a patient who rents and she's been through four apartments in the last three years trying to get away from the mold. Um, but, um, so my patients don't get better. It's it's almost always because they're still being exposed to mold. Patients who are sensitized to mold who get sick acutely, uh, not just from the inflammation, but because they have antibodies against it. Um, I've had some luck referring those patients for low-dose immunotherapy against mold. Um, have good providers. Yeah, that's great. We've had good luck using LDI, low-dose immunotherapy. Uh, is uh, Great Plains Labs a test that you typically prefer for mycotoxins, ochratoxin, that kind of yes. stuff? Yes. So there's, there's two different choices, real-time labs and Great Plains. Okay. Uh, Great Plains has two advantages. It tests for more yeah. mycotoxins, and it's about half the price. We and like so. that as Lyme patients. We need to pay yes, attention where we can. Patients frequently request the Great Plains kit. 
Yeah, I wanted to make sure to mention that. And then um, do you use cholesteramine to help bind mold? Or a lot of people find that that's difficult for the uh, stomach to tolerate. Yeah, so there's several choices for, for binders. Okay. Uh, cholesteramine uh, works very well for a specific mycotoxin called ochratoxin A. You can get compounded cholesteramine that doesn't okay. have the stuff the fillers and all that some people react to. Um, but um, uh, binders can be harsh. They can cause you to herx. Um, so you could use um, uh, activated charcoal and bentonite clay. Yeah. It binds all, bi it binds all mycotoxins, but um, clay is pretty harsh. And so there is a uh, binder that uh, Dr. Nathan recommends called OptiFiber Lean that is very gentle and also binds all mycotoxins. So sometimes I miss that. That's really wonderful. I had learned about GI detox from Dr. Kinderlair, and it's got the silica, aloe, bentonite clay, activated charcoal um, to mm -hmm. kind of help uh, rotate maybe some of these different binders for that reason. Have you heard of that one? Yes, and useful because it has, it, it'll cover everything, right? So. Okay, I wanted to hear about what your thoughts were on that. We didn't dive into it a whole lot in one of my interviews with Dr. Kinderler, but I've been using it myself and it tends to really help. I feel better. So that's uh, typical for a Lyme patient to uh, stick with that stuff that's helping them feel better. Um, I wanted to go back to one thing that you said earlier that I wrote down that I think is really important. Um, a lot of Lyme patients don't um, find a physician who has enough respect for the intelligence level of a Lyme patient and listening to their own body. And I find that I really wanted to compliment you on the word that you used when you explained the relationship that you established with your patients is a collaborative one. That mm -hmm. tells me as an interviewer and a Lyme patient that you have respect for Lyme patients. And I wanted to point that out for other Lyme patients before we move on that that's a good doctor, people, somebody who's going to listen and not just preach and get you in and out the door and to the payment counter. So um, be choosy. And um, this is a great doctor here. And I'm so proud that I can um, refer to you patients here in Texas and um, I will continue to do so. That's really important that um, you are um, respecting patients enough to listen. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, actually, I found that uh, Lyme patients are the most well-educated patients that I've ever worked with. Thank you. Yeah, we, we do a lot of reading because we're so desperate to get better. And I, I can't show you guys, but I have books all over this room that um, have been sent to me as mm -hmm. gifts from physicians that I've interviewed and um, that I bought on my own. And boy, they've been life-saving. So um, that's why is we, we don't have information readily available to us from the medical community. So we have to go out and get it. And right. boy, when you pay for it like that, you really tend to, to hold on to it and dive deep into each and every word and syllable. Um, so the next thing here is 
Um, what success stories can you share of your patient's healing? Well, um, I have a young lady who, um, she's an adult, but maybe 20 years old, had um, very severe neurological Lyme. Uh, she was having frequent seizures. And by frequent, I mean like every five minutes. Oh my gosh. She was having involuntary muscle jerking. It was really profound. Um, and so she she basically was post-dicto from her seizures most of the time. And um, she had a, a diagnoster with Lyme and and um, she did really well with treatment for Bartonella. We got that in remission. And then she did a Napsone protocol and got a full remission and was um, completely well um, to the point where uh, at her last visit, her, her sister declared it a miracle, you know, that she was back to the sister she used to have. Um, so I have patients, uh, Dapson works spectacularly well uh, for a lot of people. Um, uh, that's like a girlfriend patients who do pretty, do very well also for the basic progressively disappear. So, um, uh, but that young lady is my, my most impressive uh, course of treatment. Wow. So it sounds like you said earlier, if I heard you right, you have about 150 patients that you've treated with Dapsone and 125 of disulfiram. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So it's yeah. almost even. That's almost yeah. even. There's a lot of demand for disulfiram from patients. And so, you know, I've learned how to, to use it safely. And, yeah. uh, and so why, why not? It works. Yeah. As long as people are healing on it, we'll keep using it in the Lyme community. But if there's something better that comes along, I'm not married to anything. Uh, we're, we're willing to rock and roll with whatever research comes up with yeah. that's better. That's wonderful. So I'm, I'm happy that we have a couple of great uh, drugs out there that are doing wonderful things and a um, couple of great researchers that have done excellent work, Dr. Rajadas and Dr. Um, and uh, Ravi Potanini on disulfiram. And mm -hmm. Dr. Horowitz has done a great job as a practitioner in getting the information out on Dapsone. So a big hats off and thank you to those um, people who have made these things possible by the generous uh, donations of Bay Area Lyme Foundation for the disulfiram work. And they're furthering to... Uh, uh, extend research in different areas as well. So I'm super happy that um, finally we've moved away from relying on the government support. And um, I think in the last 30 years, there's been one research study on treatment by the government. So uh, we're going to solve this. I'm 100% certain and confident that we're going to solve this, but it is going to come from people like you and I and uh, nonprofits, private support. So that, that's fine by me. Uh, the reason for optimism recently is the own um, foundation has funded uh, a yes. uh, research and treatment 
uh, foundation center, thank you, at yeah. Columbia University in New York. Columbia. And, uh, yes, and that's fantastic. $16 million, and they're going to start treating patients this summer. Yeah, well, Steve Cohen's done, yeah, Stephen Cohen's done an amazing uh, job. He really stepped up. And amazing. Yeah, they, they gave $25 million before that. And then, um, so they have uh, given a, a total of $100 million. And uh, I just spoke with Barry Alime, co-founder uh, Bonnie Crater yesterday, um, in how we can, as Texas Lime Alliance, start to promote fundraising efforts toward solving um, the lack of treatments on the market. And she identified that this is going to take $1 billion. So this is going to take more money yeah. than what the Cohen's have. And um, there's been uh, $2 million to MIT. Uh, we had uh, advocated um, legislatively last year um, with the Center for Lyme Action. We now have a Lyme lobbyist uh, formally that works full-time on Capitol Hill uh, for the Center for Lyme Action, co-founder Jeff Crater. So lots of really great things to be hopeful for. We increased um, the uh, government funding for Lyme disease last year for 2021 this year by 65%. So I really mm -hmm. hope that Lyme patients hear all of these numbers. They're ginormous. And I remember being uh, disabled in bed weeks at a time. And all I kept thinking was this is the most horrific thing I could ever imagine um, in any nightmare. Who is speaking for us? And that's why I do these interviews with people like you, because I'm speaking for those who can't get out of bed and you are. So I think it's so important that people hear these numbers and they watch these videos. I'm not the only one doing this kind of thing. There's health guy, better health guy, um, Scott's doing them. There's lots of other people um, that are coming up and speaking on behalf of Lyme patients. Um, so I think that's really great to focus on that. Thanks for indulging. Um, okay, so what would you like future patients to write down to prepare for their appointments? I know that's such a big task when you finally get into a good Lyme doctor and you're just stunned by all of the things that you've had circling in your life that's been, you know, affecting your poor health. Um, so I always recommend for people to make a list and I tell my kids the same thing and then we'll be prepared when we get to the doctor's office. What, what would you suggest for them to write down? So I, I think it's important for them to uh, write down their Lyme story um, similar to what I described with my story, mm -hmm. hopefully not. Yeah, uh, but definitely, you know, need to know where they grew up, um, what other medical problems they have, they've had any testing or treatment in the past for an illness, or what about tick exposure, things like that. Um, it's good to write it down because I'm a Lyme patient. I have to write it down or I'll be. Um, but it's also, um, it's also, they should know that when they come to see me, we're gonna spend as much time as they need or want. Um, there's not, you know, not a specific time limit. Uh, and if I run over, I run over. 
uh, I think important for them to be heard, you know, until they feel like they've been heard. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for saying that. And um, you're, you're sounding more of a miracle doctor, uh, the more we keep talking that um, that's so hard to come by. Uh, when you go into a regular physician, it's 15 minutes, boom. I used to get a phone call or an email in the portal um, from a physician whom I don't use very often, but I still stay in touch with from time to time. But um, she would remind me, you're here for one thing, that's it. Well, I thought... <laughs> If I ever get a cold or foot fungus, I'll be sure to keep that in mind. But the lack of time, 15 minutes, you can't touch on a darn thing in 15 yeah. minutes. I can barely get out. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. And, you know, and, and reciprocate that um, within 15 minutes. So um, that's why I always like to ask that question, because the time that a, a physician allows a patient to be heard is really amazing. Although um, I can't imagine one patient's gonna come in and see you and give you their whole life story and everything that's troubled them with their health and one appointment, of course, that's a progressive relationship that you build with a physician, but writing things down is really important because when I'd get into an appointment, Lyme brain used to be such a, you know, problem for me that I would just be like sitting there going, I can't remember a darn thing, but I, I just know that I'm so sick and I can't, I can't function, take care of my kids, drive my car safely, you know, things like that. So, um, thank you for doing that. That's really a compassionate sense of, um, higher standard to set for those listening that might be physicians in the medical community. Yeah. It helps that I'm a Lyme patient. <laughs> it helps a great deal. And I always tell patients, if you find a doctor who has had Lyme or a family member with Lyme, then those make the best doctors because you do get it. So that's really wonderful. Um, is there anything that we've talked about today? Um, the one thing I did write down, we may want to circle back and do another interview on this because I know it's kind of a big topic for Lyme patients, but the use of CBD and THC where it's legal, but did you want to touch briefly on that? I know we talked at my son's baseball game once about it was like pretty mm -hmm. enamored with your information that you offered, but I know it can be a long conversation. Did you want to touch on that at all for pain sure. and diet? And sure, why not? So cannabinoids are really interesting substances. Uh, both THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana and synthetic marijuana too, and CBD, which does not have the, um, does not cause the high. Uh, both of those are very useful uh, uh, for things like nausea, loss of appetite, which I see quite a bit um, on some of my um, antibiotic Um and pain um, and sleep, all those things. Anxiety. Um, and anxiety. <laughs> I want to throw that in. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, and so, um, but interesting about it is they both bind to the same receptors in the uh, cannabinoids, but they act differently. 
the T THC is an agonist, means it exerts a, an, an effect. In this uh, you, cut, you cut out. Say that again. THC is an agonist, okay. which means it exerts an effect when it binds to Thank the you. receptor. And so the high is one of the effects. Whereas CBD is an antagonist, which means it actually blocks that effect. So um, both of them, however, have similar beneficial effects as we talked about, nausea, appetite, pain, and sleep. And so if you take them both together, then you can use less of the THC, have less of an issue with, um, with you know, I, which not everyone wants, um, and, and still get more of an effect. So, I mean, more of an effect on, on the beneficial things we just talked about. Just as, I actually have a, uh, uh, a young man who had chronic regional pain syndrome, and he was um, absolutely disabled by this. And um, he found that the only thing that relieved his pain was THC. Um, fortunately, he lives in Oklahoma now where, he, where medical marijuana is legal. Um, and but if, if he takes THC, he doesn't have pain for three days. Wow. This is the only thing that ever relieved his pain. So, uh, which, by the way, got better with on treatment. Yeah. Um, but cannabinoids are very useful drugs. They're also used um, uh, in treatment of addiction, uh, opioid addiction, and saving lives. Wow. Because people can use THC uh, who are drug addicts uh, from opioids, and um, they can either get off opioids or use much, much lower doses. And so uh, overdoses don't occur as well. What about its use in seizures, muscle twitching, jerking? I know medical uh, marijuana has been successful in Parkinson's, things like um, epilepsy. Have you anything to say about its use? In oh, I mean, I absolutely believe it, it can help with epilepsy and, and seizures, uh, neurological. Because there's been, there's been some so. Yeah, very useful. Okay, um, so um, we want to, I want to make sure to mention that nothing that you hear today from me is making medical advice. I always um, encourage people to speak with their physician and uh, do their own research and homework. I am not a doctor and I don't make medical advice, but Dr. Foyer is, and he's excellent and he's available to take new patients. Dr. Foyer, how do people reach you? So I have a website. It's uh, txtiktok.com. Love it. Texas TikTok. Um, and um, there's contact information there. Uh, my phone number is 346-336-6907. Okay. Uh, three, four, six. Everybody says the phone number twice, so I have to say it twice, right? Please do. Three, four, yeah, 346-336-6907. Um, we actually... If you're interested in an appointment, um, 
we do better with emails sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you can email my administrative assistant, um, Miranda. Uh, it's M-A-R-A-N-D-A-R-E-N-E-F at Randall Boyer, that's F-B-U-E-R-M-D.com. And yes, she's my daughter. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to put all that information down below in the captions when we publish this video. And uh, one last thing is go Team Texas. I just want to encourage people to keep treating, never stop. Okay. Um, and uh, always look out for these excellent doctors like Dr. Foyer. And I just thank you so much for your time, talent, and treasure in treating Lyme patients. And it's such okay. a difficult population to treat and god bless you and your family for helping people like myself and my family along and um getting to uh, the bottom of some of these difficult things to treat well thank you it's very kind of you to say absolutely right. thanks so much for your time today and we look forward to working with you in the near future and maybe uh doing some updated interviews on um different things as they might come up and uh, patients ask for uh, some of your opinions in the future on different things as uh, treatments and um, diseases develop. I know that you'll be on the forefront of it. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Foyer. You have a great uh, Easter weekend. All right. You too. Take care. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.